0: Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa and I'm going to share an amazing Roman monument with you today. Just a quick reminder before the episodes get started, all sources and images referenced will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find that link in the episode description as well as on Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Can you believe it's the final episode of season 13? We have truly flown through the history of Rome and its incredible monuments. Today, we are going to wrap things up with Hadrian's Villa. This residential complex was built by the emperor as a retreat from the hustle and bustle of the city. Today, it's a vivid reminder of the glory of Rome at the height of its empire and its artistic heritage. So to learn more, keep on listening. And thank you to listener Nicole for sponsoring today's episode. Today, the word villa has certain connotations. It evokes images of luxury, relaxation, wealth, and beautiful architecture. In ancient Rome, the concept was fairly similar. Villas first started out as a country home for the upper echelons of society. There were three types. The villa urbana, or a suburban or country seat that could have easily been reached from Rome or other large cities. A villa rustica, which was more like a farmhouse that was occupied by servants who ran an agricultural program of the estate, sometimes the owner only occupied it in the slow times, like in the summer. Or the Otium Villa, which was for rural retirement or pleasure. So kind of like a vacation house. Wealthy citizens often had more than one type of villa in their possession because they served diverse functions. One would allow them to make money from growing crops, while the other was for leisure. Fascinatingly, Roman villas were repurposed throughout history after the fall of Rome. Many of them served as houses for the wealthy in later periods, or were transformed into monasteries for the church. Now that we understand what a villa is, let's talk about the Emperor Hadrian. He was born on January 24th, 76 CE in Italica, a town in the Roman province of Hispania, modern day Spain. His father was named Publius Aelianus Hadrianus Afar, a senator who was also the first cousin of future Emperor Trajan. Their close connection to the imperial throne is what led to Hadrian and his sister becoming wards of Trajan when their parents died when the siblings were young. Trajan took a particular interest in Hadrian and supervised his education. The teenager was physically active and he did develop a love of Greek culture. In fact, it became so well known that people began to call him the nickname Greekling. It wasn't necessarily a term of endearment, but instead mockery. As Hadrian grew up, he served in both political and military offices. While on campaign, Hadrian and Trajan were informed that Emperor Nerva, who was already quite old and frail, had declared Trajan his heir. In 98 CE, Nerva died and Trajan became the Emperor of Rome. When Hadrian was around 18 years old, he married Trajan's grandniece, Vivia Sabina. Over the years, the relationship between Hadrian and the emperor had become increasingly complicated. Around the time of the former's marriage, the two men seemed to have fought for an unknown reason. Trajan, therefore, didn't formally adopt Trajan or make him his heir until his deathbed. But even this is disputed. When Trajan's will and the adoption were found, they were dated to the day after Trajan's death and signed by his wife, Empress Platina. Although this seems quite fitchy, Hadrian was able to use the military and financial means to secure his power. Hadrian's reign was seen as relatively peaceful and well managed, earning him a spot in the group of the five good emperors. He spent more than half of his reign outside of Italy because he wanted to see how things were being run throughout the empire. It was on these travels that Hadrian met the love of his life, a young man named Antinius. He was from Turkey and would soon accompany the emperor on his travels. Sadly, at the age of only 20, Antinius died under mysterious circumstances on the river Nile. Hadrian was utterly devastated and deified the young man into the Roman pantheon. After years of travel, Hadrian decided to spend the remainder of his life in Italy. He and his wife had never had children, so he had to adopt his heir as a predecessor's had. First, he chose a man named Lucius Sionius Commodus, who changed his name to Lucius alias Caesar when he officially became heir. He was a member of a family who had seen its head patriarch executed when Hadrian ascended the throne, and it was seen as a reconciliation move. Unfortunately, Lucius predeceased Hadrian on January 1st, 138 CE. Once again, Hadrian was in a pickle. He still had no biological children, so he had to look for another man to adopt. Titus, Aurelius, Fulvis, Bonius, Arius, Antoninus was the answer. He was also from an important family and had served as an imperial legate for Hadrian. This happened in the nick of time as Hadrian died on July 10th, 138 CE. Titus succeeded him under the name of Emperor Antoninus Pius. Alright, now that we've discussed all the background information, let's talk about Hadrian's Villa. It was built in the 120s in Tiber, now known as Tivoli. The town sits about 30 kilometers or 19 miles outside of Rome. This was an ideal location because it was away from the hustle and bustle of the city, but still within traveling distance in case of an imperial emergency. It was not uncommon for the Roman emperors to have villas in and outside of Rome, but Hadrian took it a step further. He apparently hated the Palatine Palace, the traditional home of the emperors, and he didn't like to spend much time there. So by 128 CE, he made his villa in Tiber his official residence, though he had been conducting business there as early as 125 CE, according to notes on official documents. Next, I'm going to discuss the architecture and the art of Hadrian's villa. But first, let's take a quick break. Hi there, my name is Annalisa and I'm the founder of Accessible Art History. My goal is to bring art history content to anyone that is curious. All my platforms can be accessed for free, but there are ways that you can support the cause. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rate and review on your favorite platform. I also have a Patreon and a Buy Me A Coffee account set up if you feel inclined to support Accessible Art History monetarily. However, I will always work to bring content for free because I believe that education should be accessible for those who want and need it. Thank you for listening, and now let's get back to the episode. Welcome back. Let's dive into the architecture of Hadrian's villa. It was built over 250 acres, which makes it larger than the entire city of Pompeii. The complex consists of around 30 buildings, each serving a distinct purpose for the emperor. Fascinatingly, Hadrian didn't stick with one cohesive design style. Although the buildings were constructed of similar materials like travertine, brick, lime, and tufa, he chose to imitate multiple cultures in their design. This was likely inspired by his travels around the vast Roman Empire. For example, he had a small river created to run through the complex, which he named the Nile, after the Great River in Egypt. Other buildings had Greek names like Hades, which isn't surprising since we know Hadrian was a great lover of Greek culture. Adrian's Villa combined living spaces with outdoor areas to create a balanced complex. For example, the Maritime Theater had a ring-shaped structure with a pool in the center. A covered porch led to a section of the villa complete with a library, art gallery, luxurious bedrooms, and an area for relaxing. It would have been the perfect place to spend the evening after a long day of running the empire. In addition to the Maritime Theater, there were other libraries, bath complexes, temple spaces, living quarters, and tons of places to stroll. It was truly a magnificent villa. Another amazing thing about Hadrian's villa is the sheer amount of artwork that the emperor had commissioned for the space. Archaeological excavations have revealed a literal treasure trove of pieces that help us to not only understand Hadrian's personal taste, but also artistic styles and trends during the period. Unsurprisingly, much of the art in the villa was either from Greece or Greek-inspired. Some of the famous pieces include the Wounded Amazon, a copy of Myron's Discobolus, the Dove Basin Mosaic, the Diana of Versailles, Crouching Venus, Capitoline, Antinous and the Young and Old Centaurs. These are considered to be some of the best examples of Hellenistic or Hellenistic copies in our history. I've posted pictures of some of them on the blog, and you can see the fine craftsmanship. Every line of cloth, every strand of hair, has been expertly rendered to give a real lifelike appearance to the pieces. They look as if they could step down from their pedestals and into our world at any moment. Unfortunately, many of the pieces ended up in museums around the world, especially in Western Europe, because grand tour amateur archaeologists thought it was okay to take them home to their own villas and museums. There is a sad air to some of the art, though. Archaeologists have uncovered many statues of Hadrian's lover, Antinius. He was shown in different guises, as if to fit into the different spaces within the villa. It's clear that the emperor greatly mourned the young man and wished to have his image surrounding him. Hadrian's villa is more than just a villa. It's an entire complex dedicated to the pleasure and enjoyment of a single man. Today, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site because, quote, it combines the best elements of architectural heritage of Egypt, Greece, and Rome in the form of an ideal city, end quote. Archaeologists are still working to uncover its secrets with new spaces being discovered all the time. In fact, in 2021, a team discovered a previously unknown room that they now believe served as a private space for the emperor to eat. And that wraps up season 13 of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Thank you all for listening and exploring ancient Rome with me. I started planning season 14, which should be released in early spring 2023. Make sure to follow the Accessible Art History Instagram at accessible.art.history to keep up with all the updates. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history for updates and keep an eye out on the next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform. If you prefer to listen on YouTube, you can find episodes on there about two weeks after the episodes are posted. Cheers and see you next week.